Good evening. We're reading from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in, in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once, thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. Let's pray for God to open our minds to the scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word, for inspiring it by your spirit, for preserving it for us so that we can learn what you have done throughout the history of salvation, which you have promised to do. Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and hearts, that we would understand the scripture, that you would reveal it to us, that we would be made stronger, that we would be made more faithful, that we would be led to worship you, the only true God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Throughout Joshua up to this point, we have heard several main themes. One of the main themes is that God is giving the land to Israel, this land of Canaan. He's going to give them the land. We see that in Joshua 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you. Going forward, the next chapter, Joshua 2.24, Truly the Lord has given all the, the land into our hands. That's the spies speaking to Joshua, the report. There's many other places where this is referenced. It's a, a clear thing that it is God that is providing them the land. He is doing the work. And the success of this conquest is not left up to them. Rather, it is by grace that it will be given to them not a result of their works. That might sound familiar if you're 
attending the morning services coming from Ephesians chapter 2. Another major theme is that God will be with Joshua. God will be present. Joshua 1.5 says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 9 says, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Chapter 3, verse 7, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We have a God who is present in fighting for his people. But it is important to understand the context, the context of what this battle is, this fighting is. He is there fighting, fulfilling his covenant promises to them. Right? This is not about anyone's or desires. It's, it's, he doesn't go to Joshua and say, did you want to, to start this business? Okay, well, I guess it's going to succeed because I'm with you. He doesn't say, do you want to venture this way? Do you want to conquer this land over here? That's, that's great. I will make you succeed in that because I'm with you. No, those were not the things that God promised. He promised a particular land, the land of Canaan, and that is what God is fighting for, what God will deliver to him. And we should... Note that, yes, God does care about other particular things in our lives. He is our Heavenly Father who gives good gifts. But we should also be careful in thinking that, well, God fights for me, and so anything that I want, I should have. That's not how God fights for us. God fights for us in faithfulness to what he has promised to us. And in those things, he fights fiercely and without fail. We have no reason to look at this and think that the character of God will give us any whim of our heart. In fact, we should actually expect to suffer in his service, as what we see in the New Testament. But we also have every reason to believe that by his character revealed here, that he is a God who will fulfill his promises, promises like forgiving our sins, sustaining us through trials and temptation, that he will build his kingdom, that he will bless every family of the earth. At the beginning of this passage, we read that Joshua, after he has reinstituted at the by the word of the Lord commanding him to, he has reinstituted the signs of the covenant, circumcision and the Passover. He has reinstituted these things that are an image of their relationship and their covenant with God. And right after that, there is this appearance, this mystical appearance. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes, and behold, a man was standing before him with drawn sword in his hand. Now Joshua may have been scouting out and planning, what will we do? How will we defeat Jericho? We know that we will defeat them. God has promised it to us, but how are we supposed to overcome this obstacle? These walls are too high. And that's when he encounters this strange man with a sword drawn in his hand. A drawn sword is a sign of readiness for battle. 
he is ready for war to conquer. And when Joshua approaches him, he asks him a question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? This is not likely a question asking about his intentions. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Like, are you for the Steelers or for the Ravens? Rather, it's more likely a question of belonging and identity. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to us or do you belong to our enemies? Are you one of us or are you one of them? Understanding this will determine Joshua's relationship to this man. If he is of the Israelites, well then Joshua's He's the top dog. He's, he's the commander. And so, well, if he's an Israelite, well, okay, I'll give him orders. I'll give him instructions. I'll inquire what he's doing out here because he is under my authority if he's one of us. But if he's one of them, well, then the fight's on. This man is, is about to get attacked. So do I command him or do I kill him? And the man answers, and he says, No. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. The commander of the Lord's army reveals, reveals that he is not one of them. I'm not one of your enemies. I am not one of you. I'm not a man to be killed or attacked, and I'm also not a man under your authority. Rather, it is Joshua who is a man under his authority. The word that we read here, the commander of the army of the Lord, in other contexts would be translated as prince or chief, a high ruler. The reason that it is translated as commander is because it's put in the context of an army. But this could easily be rendered, I'm the prince of the army of the Lord. I'm the chief or the captain of the army of the Lord. He is a high royal official. Now, if you are familiar with this passage, you will likely have heard that this figure, this commander of the Lord's army, is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. But why do we believe that? Why do we say that? It doesn't seem that explicit Upon going over, that this would be the pre-incarnate Christ. There's a few hints that we have. The first is when the commander tells him that he that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua immediately falls flat on his face and worships. We read in other places that when someone falls down and worships an angel, they are corrected, that they are disabused of this notion. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9, we see that happen with John as he is revealed an image from an angel. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets 
and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. But that's not what we hear from the commander of the Lord's army. Rather, Joshua falls and worships, and there is no correction. The worship is appropriate, because this commander of the Lord's army is God himself. And he doesn't just say, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. He actually says something right after that. He says, now I have come. Why would he say that? What does that have to do with anything? Was Joshua expecting this man? Was he, did he get a phone call ahead of time? Yes, he, he did get a message ahead of time. The whole book of Joshua has been God promising to him that I, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. He's expecting the presence of the Lord. This is the visual testimony of the fulfillment of God's promise. We know that God is with them and he has been guiding them, that he is present in a special way uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, but here he has a a fulfillment of this promise that I will be with you. And his sword is drawn and ready for battle to fulfill the other promise that he would give them the land, that the battle would be victorious because there is one mightier fighter. This is also promised even before Joshua was, was the leader, back in Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 20. The Lord promised to Moses when they come to the, can, the land of Canaan, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and I blot them out, He's speaking about this moment. When he gets to the land and it's time to take it, he has sent an angel. And he says that he must not disobey him because he will not pardon your transgressions, which is a very significant thing to know because that shows that this angel has the authority to pardon or not pardon, to make the decision that he would not pardon. But who can forgive sin except God and God alone? And right after it says, for my name is in him. This is no mere angel that is promised, but the one who bears the very name of Yahweh. If this seemed strange, it would not have been strange to an Israelite. This is a story that has been told before. It is a close parallel to how God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush. And a little further down, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. It sounds familiar. God proceeds then after that point to tell Moses who he is. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what the plan is for rescuing Egypt. I have seen the people suffering in Egypt, and here's the plan moving forward, that he would send Moses and he would deliver them out. There's a game plan that comes after that. At the beginning of this passage, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared, right? The angel of the Lord appeared as a flame of fire in that bush. Was this an angel or is this God? It's the same exact situation. Yet, out of that burning bush, out of that flame, comes the mouth of Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many angels speak to God's people, but it is only these messengers whose presence makes the very ground around them holy by their presence. Take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. There is very something very, very different about these two. The flame that speaks and doesn't burn the bush, and the man who makes the very ground holy, and as we see continuing through the story, speaks the very words of God. Who could they be? except the tongues of flame that we see in Acts chapter 2 coming upon his apostles. And the prince of heaven, destined to become man to conquer our enemies. We can read this passage distinct from the following words because we see that there's a chapter break here. We see chapter 6 start and we think, well, that's the end of that scene. And then something else is happening. But these chapter breaks are included later. This is not, that is not part of the inspired text of the Bible. We see that the message so far is, I am here, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. But when God said that to Moses, right after that, he speaks and gives instructions. This is how you will be delivered. This is how I am going to save you. This is, this is how the people will get what I have promised them. And so right after this, what do we see except the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. And we see the instructions to walk around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. This is God speaking to Joshua. What he gives to him are very counterintuitive instructions. This is not this is not how we would have planned this battle. Joshua sees this man and he is he is there with sword drawn ready for battle. He's 
he would not expect something like this. No one's going to look at these battle plans, roll them out, and say, oh, yes, I understand. This is, this is exactly how I would have planned it. Yes, walking around the city, that'll do it. It doesn't make sense to our minds. Because, and if, because if something like this works, Israel cannot possibly take credit for it. It is God's victory alone. It is God who is fighting for them, not their own works, but God's. Our battle is very similar to this battle. No one can open the scripture and read the gospel and think, of course, that's how I would have done it. You know, if I was writing salvation history and and I was writing the Bible that's exactly that's exactly what I would do no it's completely counterintuitive we want to work and earn our way to God we want to wash away our own sins we want to conquer our own enemies or we want to punish the people that we are against We don't want sinful people, people who have done wrong things to be allowed in. But God chose to let sinful people live. Not only that, but he sent his son to conquer sin and death. Not with a sword in his hand, but with a spear in his side. Not wearing the crown of a prince who commands angelic armies, but a crown of thorns. Not one of us can take credit for the victory that Christ has earned on our behalf. It belongs to God alone. And just like the Israelites are asked to do this strange thing, this counterintuitive thing, walk around the city and it'll fall down. Well, that's not how that works. We need war engines. We need battering rams. We need, I don't know if they invented, they probably didn't invent catapults yet, but they need something. They need a way in. We're given very counterintuitive things to do as well. We're told to preach from a very old book. We're told to pour water on people in the name of a triune God. We're told to eat and drink a holy supper. And it gets stranger because we're also told to love our enemies. We're told to put others before ourselves. Well, how is that supposed to get me what I want? How is that supposed to get me victory? If somebody is my enemy, shouldn't I shout him down? Shouldn't I conquer him? Shouldn't I get him out of the way? If I want something, if I deserve something, shouldn't I take it and get it myself? Instead of listening to what you need and what you want and giving you preference. 
That is often how we naturally think. But we are given a counterintuitive way to interact with each other. A counterintuitive way to interact with the world. These are not the bits of advice that you will receive looking for tips and tricks on how to get what you want. How to be a successful person. How will these things possibly build the kingdom of God? It doesn't appear to make any sense because the fact is that we are not the commanders of the Lord's army. We are not the ones who will be responsible for the victory. Yet it is through our obedience in these things that God shows himself faithful to his promises. If the Israelites are faithful in following these strange and counterintuitive instructions, he says the, fall, the walls will fall down flat. The same is true for us with our simple counterintuitive instructions that God has given to us, his church. Walls will come crushing down. Enemies will be overcome. The kingdom will be built. Souls will be saved. While we march around Cumberland, LaVale, Frostburg, Fort Ashby, with acts of mercy and shouts of God's good news, there is an invisible army led by Christ himself among us. He will bring victory, not us. He will bring victory. He always has. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Lord, that you have promised great things. That you have promised to bless all of the families of the earth. That you have promised salvation and forgiveness comes through the name of Christ. And you have never failed once, never failed once to fulfill your promises. And so, Lord, we pray for zeal. We pray for obedient hearts. We pray for clear minds that know your word and act it out in obedience, not because we are strong in ourselves, but Lord, knowing your presence, knowing that it is you who builds your kingdom, and it is you who conquers hearts. Lord, we pray for success in our ministry. We, we pray for success in each of our lives individually as servants of our heavenly commander. We pray that you would lead us into the lives of those that you are calling to yourself. That the gospel would be clear in our minds. That our hands and feet would be swift to show love 
and mercy even to our enemies. That your words would be always on our lips. And Lord, we pray for the presence of Christ's spirit to be there with us so that we would not be shown to look foolish, but Lord, that you would change hearts, that you would bring the victory by your own word, by your own hand. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.